it going? Good, how are you? Good, good, good. Appreciate you coming on. How is yes, everything? My pleasure. So I was going to say, how is everything on your end? Good, good. Can't complain too much. How are things on your end? Nice. Just uh, another day in the life. Let's call it that. <laughs> um, I know we are limited on time overall, so happy to kind of jump right into it. Yeah, of course. Happy to also field any questions from the participants we got here today. Perfect. Perfect. How is everything at Disney? It's pretty good. Um, I think we're going through a trans transformative time in the company, but um, nothing, you know, nothing the company hasn't weathered before. So it'll, it's a unique challenge uh, that can make work a little more stressful, but more rewarding. I'm sure a lot of people who are in banking understand that sometimes the most rewarding deals can be the most challenging. That's a similar story what's going on right now at Disney. Yep. Yep. No, it's interesting because honestly, um, generally finance tends to be, of course, like rather buttoned up, um, call it like either like the dress shirt, the polo, the vest, the classic stuff. Um, these days, I feel like, especially on the creative side of things as on your end, um, it comes in like all different like form factors, right? Which I think is like definitely like super interesting because at the end of the day, I mean, of course, today we're going to be discussing more like strategy, corp dev at a like creative like media agency versus mm -hmm. like really finance roles kind of like all over, right? Right. Whether it be large, like Fortune 100, Fortune 500 businesses, all the way through to like smaller startups called like FP&A. Um, when you were at, and I guess if we take a step back here, right? Like real quick, like let's discuss like LA versus New York, because a lot of people will be like, okay, like New York, center of everything, finance galore. What made you want to move out to LA? Do you miss New York? Do you miss the finance? Kind of like the hustle bustle. What does that look like? I think if you're really set on working in finance, like high finance, as everyone likes to call it, like private equity, hedge funds, pretty much everything that's um, everything in high finance that's not VC, mm -hmm. I do think New York City is is probably still the best place to be. Now, that's not to say there's not other opportunities. I think that obviously, if you want to be in a media company, LA gives you the most leverage. Really, the only company that's not here is one of our competitors, Comcast, is in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it everyone else is over here so me knowing that i kind of wanted to switch to technology and media mm -hmm. i thought los angeles was the right switch for me and uh so far it's gone well like i, I do like living here um you know that you'll run into some of the same problems you do in new york city with like bonus taxes cost of living that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um but los angeles if, if you're looking to be a media or tech it's a good place to be 100 percent yeah. What would you say was kind of like the starkest difference um, between M&A banking at RBC and then even kind of like the Deloitte side of things to what you're doing today? I would say it's that you're just focused on one initiative, but it's a lot deeper. So in consulting banking, you're hopping between project and project. They're almost like a hierarchy. Banking would be a mile wide and inch deep because you're working on so many different things. Mm -hmm. I know everyone who's worked in banking, most of it knows you know a lot of the early stages are pitching right there's a lot of early stage pitching you're only really diving onto a deal you know once your team is accepted whether that's as a book runner MA advisor and that's going to be even at the top firms less than 10 percent of the stuff you work on mm -hmm. consulting you're switching projects let's say it depends if it's like tech implementation that could last half a year if it's a strategy gig just like a board presentation that could last 12 weeks but each time you get in one of those projects, you're diving pretty deep. Yep. Where at Disney, you're going to be assigned to whatever task you're assigned to, whether that be 
advertising, whether that be, you know, mergers, acquisitions, whether that be content strategy, and you're going to dive in there and stay under there uh, mm-hmm. for as long as you can, essentially. There's going to be a, a lot of institutional knowledge you have to pick up on. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest difference between not just moving to Disney, but moving from client service to a corporation yeah. is that you're going to have to pick up how the corporation operates. So you're going to have to figure out the institutional knowledge, right? Stakeholders. And that is probably the biggest challenge. I think a lot of bankers and consultants will face myself included mm-hmm. um, just because you're so used to figuring something out in 10 weeks and then forgetting about it. Yeah. You will have to remember relationships here from half a year ago. You also remember project initiatives from half a year ago or a year ago. Mm-hmm. That can be challenging given the background we come from. Yep. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And so, I mean, if you take it a step back, right, like we interacted initially through office hours as a whole. Um, when you were thinking about, call it like various investing roles, was Corp Dev something that you always had an idea of? You looked into like traditional like growth equity, private equity type stuff? I looked into most exits. I just... After working in consulting, I realized that I really liked the strategic aspects. And I'm not saying you don't get that in buy side, but I'd say in corporate, you do get more of it. Um, it depends what you go to. If you go to a PE portfolio company that's very acquisitive, mm-hmm. it would probably be more akin to PE deal making. But if you work at a large Fortune 100, 500, you'll see more of like a mix of consulting and banking as your as your day to day. Yep. Yep. No, that makes total sense. Are you able to speak a little bit more about some of the initiatives today as to what you're looking at and kind of like what's interesting when it comes to maybe like a media play like 5, 10, 15 years down the line? Yeah, I I can speak to some. So I think that obviously the big initiative has been like the streaming services and that's it's become a really competitive space. You're seeing in the news that you're seeing everything from, you know, these net losses on them and the overall goal is to make them profitable within the next year or two. Uh, the content is very expensive, and Disney is in this unique position where it has made the decision to host its own content instead of license that content to other platforms, which it did, right. let's say, five years ago is the last time that really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a lot of people followed suit. I mean, I think the streaming war really kicked off in 2019 with the launch of Disney+, Plus, so that uh, Disney's been at the forefront of that. I think Disney has the best library of content, um, the most unique, the most diverse. Um, the biggest issue with growth is that a lot of hardcore Disney fans would probably be signed up from like day one when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the biggest issue when it comes to growth for something like Disney's streaming platforms. Um, mm-hmm. And then also monetizing those. So that means getting subscribers. Are people signing up for the ad tier? They're signing up for the non-ad tier. Are the people with the ad tier watching enough so the advertisers are like, this is a worthwhile investment? Those are all questions you have to answer on a daily basis. And there's no really clear cut answer given that, again, this is a brand new industry. Even these executives who've been here 25, 30 years, they've only dealt with streaming for four of them. Uh, So it's not something that there's large precedent. Like the theme parks, there's a long precedent to work with. Filmmaking, there's a long precedent. Streaming is not, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, it's interesting, honestly, on the theme parks angle. I feel like when we were younger, we never really realized how expensive they were. It was just kind of like a thing that you did with your family. We never really thought like, okay, like this costs so much. And like, I even ended up going back um, because I was in Florida for some time, my sister and we took some of our cousins. It was expensive. Um, Even for like a day pass, I think that was the most expensive because it was just kind of like an in and out thing. Right. It's um, it's the most visited vacation spot in the world. So it is, yeah, it's definitely a Walt Disney World is the most visited vacation spot in the world. So it's definitely a feat 
that no other company has been able to accomplish. And that that is probably a thing that separates Disney the most is the parks. Mm-hmm. But of course, um, the ultimate goal is to bring streaming up to a profitable point. Yep. Yep. No, exactly. Of course, digitization moving forward. Um, nice. If we take a step back a little bit um, for, I'm sure we've got some participants all across the spectrum here, right? Like looking into banking, thinking about the next step um, and potentially thinking about finance as a whole. So IU has a pretty strong finance presence. They that- do, absolutely. How was that when you thought about it? When, um, excuse me, going into school, thinking about getting into banking right out, um, kind of coming from this call, like, I mean, I would think like Target, semi-Target, whatever you may want to call it. Um, when it comes to breaking into the industry, what did that look like? Yeah, so I got a little lucky. Um, I didn't really know I wanted to work in like high finance. Mm-hmm. So I just attended IU because it was the distance from home that I wanted. I grew up in Kentucky, so it was like three hours away. So like, that's the right distance for me for college. You're like close enough to drop off laundry, but far enough away, like where you have an excuse if you don't want to go home. Yep. Uh, and I got a little lucky, like I said, there, there was a program for investment banking at Indiana. I think that's what separates Indiana from a lot of like other target, semi-target schools is there's programs and it is a little dependent on you getting into those programs. So there's a program for investment banking that's 70 to 80 people. There's a program for consulting that's like 20 to 30. There's like sales trading equity research that's 20 to 30. So those programs are really where a lot of the recruiting happens. I was lucky enough to be admitted into the investment bank workshop. And from there, IU is a huge target for RBC uh, due to a couple of alumni we have there. So I was able to run that process, get an internship, and then go back full time. Uh, and, you know, that, that was a really great experience. Awesome. I don't think banking, I kind of knew after like the six month to a year mark that it wasn't something I wanted to do long term. But mm-hmm. then anyone considering it, it does open the most doors of any career. Yep, yep. Would you say you had some friends that stayed on um, as associate and beyond? Um, I think out of like all the 80 people I knew in our investment banking workshop class, probably like 15 um, have stayed on as associates. I would say nice. 60 have probably done like 55 to 60 have gone like the PE rather than like 10 to 15. I've done what I've done. I've done some kind of corporate, something in corporate capacity or gone to business school. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, we're actually already getting a couple of questions here. So just to make sure we're good on time. Um, how did your skills from banking consulting translate to strategy corp dev? Did you have prior experience in media? No prior experience in media, a little prior experience in telecommunications. Um, bank and consulting, they're kind of like law school for business. That's how I've said it. Like, a lot of people don't really necessarily like going to law school, but they want to be a lawyer. I think that's how a lot of people view banking and consulting. A lot of people don't necessarily want to do banking or consulting. And some people do, and that's great. But I'm saying, like, if you pull an analyst class, you know, you pull 10, probably two want to stay on long term and the rest want to be investors or they want to be, they want to go to industry. I know in consulting, by far the most popular exit op is like product management. Mm-hmm. Um so those are the, you know, I think they're definitely worth it. And the skills trans- are transferable. You're really picking up just how to manage office politics, how to model, how to think strategically. And those translate to pretty much any role, um, at least in the corporate investing sides of things. So I think they're great starting points and you should definitely consider them. In terms of pivoting from equity research to IB, 
depends what you want. Um, if you want to get into like private equity, corporate development, then yes. If you like equity research, then obviously not. Um, but I'd be, in my understanding, I don't really know a lot of people in equity research, so I can't say for certain, but IB probably offers more broad exit ops. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, like a little background, right? Like, I mean, naturally we started uh, office hours uh, three years ago plus at this point to help out individuals break into banking, generally break into the buy side, private equity, uh, growth equity, corp dev, hedge funds, what have you. And at its core, I'm not going to say go into banking for the sole sake of going into banking. It does open up a bunch of exit opportunities. But the reality is, is that too many people get caught up with exit opportunities. The question is, what are you trying to exit to? If you want to start your own business, Ivy might like give you an understanding of like how to work, how to manipulate a computer, how to think about that. But I would argue, go to like Y Combinator and like start a business there. If you want to actually think about like potentially getting into consulting because you're a little bit more like higher level thinker, but you want to learn like the technicals, you can learn the technicals on the side, but go into consulting, right? Like MBBs or a variety of like consulting shops end up being like phenomenal career paths. If you want to evaluate actually like analyzing businesses, like sure there, I think banking is a good fit. Now kind of like the public versus private debate, public, probably a bit more equity research where you have a bunch of information that you're sifting through private on the banking side of things, you're kind of digging for information. So you don't necessarily have access to everything like SEC Edgar would for equity research. So, I mean, I think that similarly compares to growth equity, private equity versus hedge funds, right? Hedge funds naturally mean there'll be like teams of like four, you're like your own little pod working one-on-one and developing your own thesis in your book. Private equity, growth equity, you're much more team-oriented. So very difficult or very different, excuse me, when it comes to your thought process, Equity research, if you love the public equity side of things, and frankly, like researching public companies, I think that makes total sense. Um, but if you want to move to IB for the sole sake of like exit opportunities, just think about what you want to do long term is generally what we tell people. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think picturing where you want to be at the end and then working back is generally a good strategy. Yep. And it's not always going to go according to plan, right? As we know right. this, just kind of get through... Um, I mean, I think the more conversations you have, the more networking um, that you do, whether it be with coaches, off coaches, um, and in general, when it comes to just conversations, when it comes to alum, and people really that are doing what you want to be doing, I think helps out quite a bit. Yeah, just take it one day at a time. 100%. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your experience with office hours, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, of course. Um, So I was first going through like media recruiting, reached out to office hours, and they helped me just prepare questions and prepare for my interviews within the media space. And I guess in that sense, I use them how a lot of people use them for private equity recruiting. Cause I was still in banking and I was trying to go through like consulting and media recruiting then. And, you know, office hours is great. They only connect you with people who work in the field you want to work with. There's no, <clears throat> there's no like teachers. And by that, I mean like, there's nobody who's just like researched what it's like to work in private equity and doesn't work in there. Everyone who's going to coach you is actually a private equity professional. And that's what I think separates office hours from a lot of competitors where they might be able to write about guides about what some of their friends have told them they test in private equity. I mean, these are re professionals on the end of the phone. So having that experience to me was extremely helpful. And that's your opportunity to ask dumb questions. Like you have a window in life where you can ask them questions that goes when you first join a job, when you're first like learning about a career on campus, that's your window to ask dumb questions. After a certain point, you can't ask those questions anymore. 
office hours is your opportunity to ask those. And that's definitely priceless in my opinion. No, I appreciate that. Did you work with a coach before that or did it end up being kind of like a first time experience like that? Um, I worked with like a coach like one or two times. Um, but honestly, like I got a little lucky where I was able to go through recruiting faster than I thought I would have. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't like the, I got a little lucky, but I know the opportunity to work there like longer would have been useful and it would have been available. Yep. No, I think you bring up a really good point, right? We'll get to some of these other questions that have come up. Um, recruiting doesn't go according to anyone's timeline, right? It goes according to their own timeline. So the reality is, is that a lot of people will be like, hey, like, am I ready? Am I good to go? Am I prepared? I want to do this later. The reality is firms don't really care. They do it according to when they need help. And right. to be fair, like if you aren't prepared for that specific firm, guess what? They're probably going to move on. Right. There are 20,000 banking analysts out there and like maybe, maybe 2,000 buy side associate positions, if not like call like 1,200, 1,500. Those firms literally like have technically like no qualms of like hiring like well talented individuals. So it's just a matter of like being prepared. I mean, even with, of course, like a corporation like a Disney, a corporation like um, whether it be a Fortune 500, whether it be, I mean, all the organizations that you've worked at, right? Like they definitely have people like lining out the door a Deloitte consulting, an RBC investment bank, any major investment bank, not to mention, of course, kind of like working at a larger entity that you're like really, really passionate about, like one in the media space, especially out in LA, like Disney is a market leader, right? Exactly kind of what right. you just said. Awesome. So we got a couple of these questions. Um, day-to-day look like at Disney. Are you still staffed on projects similar to consulting IB just on a longer scale? And what does the timeline work stream look like? I wouldn't say staffed. I mean, there's a lot of ad hoc work and the initiatives come up. And one thing that you have to understand when you're working with corporate strategy, especially, and and I guess development too, is there's ebbs and flows. So obviously when there's an initiative to sell or buy in your corporation, then you're going to get a larger work stream. In strategy, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to the like timeline of tech. So if so there's something that's very important on tech. So for example, Disney Plus with ads, there's so many pieces of tech involved. That is really going to drive a lot of your work stream. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that you have to work on the timeline of like the product team. You mm-hmm. can't just say, well, I think here's this idea for Disney Plus with ads, if it can't be implemented on a technical basis, then that is going to delay the work stream. And I think that's the biggest difference where banking, there's not really any of those barriers of entry to be able to push through on an initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some of those barriers in the corporate side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I feel like it's much more, even my stint on the operating side, um, while we like to think a little bit more high level and while we like to think that like, hey, like maybe like churn is up, let's hire like another customer success professional. The reality is, is that it's not necessarily one for one, right? And like the only way to like really know that is kind of like being in the field rather than just being like outside the field, kind of like assessing high level from a um, strategy perspective. Um, I missed a question actually, sorry. So how did you think about a career in media? And then Actually, yeah, let's let's discuss a little bit more like career trajectory, right? When you go to a larger corporation, is it generally kind of that like associate VP director path? Is it a bit more specific to the firm? How do you think about that moving up within corp dev and strategy? 
I'd say it's specific to the firm. I'd also say it could be maybe a little more middle heavy where there's like one SVP and it's going to be leading 40 people. And then below him, there might be like, if I said 40, there'd be like 10 senior managers, like 10 managers, like five directors, and then like five senior analysts and like three analysts. So it's very middle heavy, I'd say, on the corporate strategy side. And I just say that given that a lot of the, I wouldn't say it's like a two and out mentality here, but I would say like a lot of people, you're either kind of a lifer or you figure out this isn't for you and you go somewhere else. That tends to be a thing, how you see it on corporate, just given the burnout rate is quite a bit lower. Um, you still, there's still gonna be weeks where you work like 50 to 60 hours, but they're nothing like financial services where maybe only one or two people are going to be able to stand the type of hours you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just going to see a lot more lifers than like corporate development, corporate strategy uh, than you would in other fields. And I think it's also just due to the fact that the projects take a lot longer. Um, sometimes when you are in consulting or banking, you're there for like a good time, not a long time, someone told me. And you can get your deal reps in in a year, really. You know, most people only stay two because that's what the private equity firm they're going to wants them to do. But yeah. if you're literally just looking at objectively like, hey, I just want to get the skill sets of a banker consultant, probably six months to a year. Definitely doesn't take two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that extra year, you might learn more about the industry. But if you just want to learn about your general skills, you're going to transfer probably only a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll probably get a couple good reps in by that point. Um, like I said, corporate strategy, the timeline is just so much longer. So you're going to see a lot more people staying for a longer term. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and, and how did you speak about your deal experience when it came to the interview process? And maybe that kind of like parallels into like the interview process as a whole, right? Like what did that kind of look like? So I would say emphasizing times where you took leadership is good in any process and then also if you have anything and this is probably going to maybe answer some other questions or questions that'll come up like listen you do not need direct media experience so to speak but if you can think of this is one thing my opstars coach told me that in a way every business model is the same every business model wants to raise revenue lower costs like it's that simple but think about how they do that so for media companies it's especially like streaming, it's subscription revenue. That's the name of the game. It's ad revenue. That's the name of the game. So I had worked with um, a large like manufacturer of, they had a number of devices, but it was mostly like internet devices. I, I can't give like too much detail on the client, but it was like internet devices telecom devices, not necessarily media, but it was telecom. And a lot of their business was based on like subscription reviews of people that want their internet service or subscription on people who want their equipment. And subscription is really similar to how obviously Disney Plus operates. So if you can spin those experiences to align, you know, that's the way to go because I highly doubt you're going to have the exact to a T experience, just all about spinning it. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think positioning is a really big part of it. Um, on that note, um, it was a little bit more, how do you think about linear networks, business models, and how do you think about like valuing these legacy businesses kind of in tandem with what you were just mentioning? 
Mm-hmm. I would say when you're valuing, are you just asking like Disney specific or are you asking like in general? Uh, let's go with like uh, in general. Okay. Anyone when it comes to valuing le- legacy businesses, if you want to look at it in the banking side, obviously there's a regular modeling where you're just trying to find out if it's overvalued or undervalued. I think in consulting, you're asking yourself, what's the value add? So I work like with insurance, some in consulting, and the value add is the security that you provide to families. And that might be the security of life insurance that knowing if something happens, it's going to be there. But at the same time, the value of life insurance from the company's perspective is, listen, when you're targeting young people, like let's say their target customer is somebody's 30. The odds of them having to do a payout payout to them is very, very low. Mm -hmm. So that's the value for the business. And I think when you're thinking of something like Disney, the value to your customers, the entertainment you provide at the same time, the way we're trying to transition it is the value your customer provides is Disney has probably the highest quality entertainment brand. Mm -hmm. That's what advertisers want. So advertisers will view this and ask themselves hey you know what content do i want my stuff associated with the dangers of marketing on tiktok or youtube is you don't necessarily know what your ad is going to play before it could play before some very strange very politically incorrect content um with disney you know that it's always going to be associated with a high quality piece of content that's why advertisers are trying to get on disney plus um that has been a huge turning point disney's such a brand focused company when you think about companies that rely on their brands you know i'll use a couple finance names like goldman sachs american express yeah google disney like those are probably the top five brands like you know maybe like throw mckinsey in there um those are probably like top five brands in the world so disney's been able to capitalize on that i think better than any other company in the world when it comes to monetizing its brand and that you can see that from the parks to the way advertisers interact with us. You can see it from every trajectory. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Do you find Disney? Did they find you? Um, a recruiter reached out on LinkedIn. So I again, I got a little oh. lucky there. Um, I'll just say like maybe keep premium on. LinkedIn. That's just my advice there. Yep. Let me know uh, if you can hear me. Just said uh, internet's unstable for some reason, but you should be good though. I can still hear you. Cool, 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 cool. Um, let's take a look. How often, um, generally are some of these firms recruiting? Did you find like other opportunities within media as well? Because it seems like we have a lot of, um, I did, um, right now it's a little tough. Um, I think right now it's kind of a contraction phase for all the companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the streaming wars kicked off and I think in the first year or two, there wasn't too much pressure from investors. Now there's more pressure and, a lot of firms being more cognizant of the content they're paying for, mm-hmm. how they're releasing content. Um, the movies is not the same industry as it was a couple of years ago. There's a couple of reasons. Obviously, one is so many of these streaming services. So you think like the big blockbusters this year, like Mario, Guardians, Barbie, like Guardians and Mario are already on streaming. And mm-hmm. then like Barbie will probably be on streaming in like a month. So wow. there's a challenge when it comes to like ticket sales for these movies, just because it's not cheap to go to the movies anymore. And families 
like if you're just taking you or your girlfriend, like it's not okay. too bad. But if you're taking a family of four and you want snacks, like it's a hundred dollar day. Yeah. Um, and in this economy, that's that's difficult to justify. So especially something I, you could do at home. Exactly. I think um that idea of going and paying for tickets, which is probably like a lower quality revenue than a streaming subscription. Mm-hmm. We're seeing film film studios kind of pull away from that, at least more than they typically would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty systemic change compared to, frankly, what happened in like, I guess, like the 40s and 50s. And just in general, like during our like parents and grandparents generation to like what's happening today. Um, and considering, of course, like most at the end of the day, kind of like have a TV in their pocket. Um, even my grandmother is uh, scrolling through stuff um, just as right. much as kind of like we are. Uh, which is a bit nuts to think about and like what might happen in the future with like um, Apple Vision uh, goggles, glasses, what have you. And I think people need to understand that entertainment is extremely competitive and people don't really think about that in the sense that, well, that's that can't be right because there's only like five media companies, which is true. But the issue with entertainment is you're not competing with just those anymore. Like TikTok is competition because it's competing for watch time. YouTube is competition. Instagram is competition. I would say if you want to look at a different example, a way less competitive field is sports because you just have the rights to it or you don't. You can't go on TikTok and watch a full NBA finals game. Like you can't do that. And that also applies to news. Like news is somewhere in the middle. But if you want to watch like your local news station, you know, which Disney owns like a number of local ABC stations like ABC three was ABC in Cincinnati. Like they own that. And you know, that, that tends to be pretty like reliable in terms of ratings, just because that local news, again, you can't just hop on a TikTok and watch your 10 o'clock news. Yeah. So news and sports tend to be quite a bit less competitive than entertainment. Yep. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. It's stuff that you don't really think about. Um, but it's true. It's eyeballs, right? At the end of the day, what kind of generates, um, attention. Right captures attention more so. Um, tell us a little bit more about modeling and day-to-day, how are you using it? If you're interviewing juniors, if it was like a really big part of the uh, corporate development exam or call it like the interview as a whole. Revenue modeling is a lot different than, which is like what a lot of what we do is revenue modeling. That's a lot different than banking modeling in the sense it's not to necessarily arise at an enterprise value, but it's more just to find like revenue opportunities. So when you present new initiatives, it's like, hey, here's a revenue opportunity. And does that look like we're improving technology and that corrects this inefficiency? Is that saying that this would allow more ads to play in a shorter amount of time? Is that saying that people would be more engaged with these ads and click on them? And that would create more subscription, not subscriptions, more revenues for Disney's. You know, those are questions you have to ask yourself. And they're a lot harder than I'd say like banking, because in banking, there's usually a template to crank something out here. Everything is like from scratch to new development. And that has been the biggest challenge for me personally. Um, There is no really precedent for a lot of these projects. And you bring up a really good point um, and really big point, frankly, kind of like the transition uh, the challenges that come with the new job to begin with, right? Like building up the political capital, getting an understanding of the day-to-day, getting an understanding of like modeling, technicals, how to engage and interact with people, um, high-level strategy, but then also at the same time, kind of like, how did you, and did you utilize office hours a little bit for this beforehand or just in general, kind of like get up to snuff and get up to speed? I use office hours to get up to speed with like the interviewing portion. Um, 
I think some of this goes just to pick up on your job, like your manager's work style, um, the expectations of you, the way your team operates, that kind of stuff. My team has gone through a decent amount of change even just since I've joined. So, you know, you always have to like stay on your toes, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we've got like one, I'm, tr I'm trying to cover as many of these questions as possible without being repetitive. Um, and we, we discussed this a little bit before, but if you had to do it all again, corp dev, or what advice would you give to someone thinking through corp dev, growth equity, private equity, a little bit lost in the process? Um, because of course you went to consulting for a little bit too. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone? And then of course, what did your path look like where it's like, Hey, look, like this is definitely what I want to do. And this is how I plan on getting there. I think it depends on what you value. Um, you just have to ask yourself that. If your goal is to maximize like compensation, it's kind of hard to beat financial services. If your goal is that I want to balance between my personal life and work, then I think it's hard to beat. If you want to stay in finance, it's hard to be corporate development or the corporate strategy. Um, I think consulting is if you really want to think of like in terms of I want to be a product manager one day. Consulting will run the run you through those ropes a lot more. So you just have to, again, the best advice I can give is just look at someone who has the role you want, maybe like 15 years down the line, and then look at what they did to get there. That's probably the best advice I could use. And most of my team started in banking or consulting. Yep. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Um, did anyone come from operating experience? From operations on my team? No. Okay. Interesting. Everyone came from finance or consulting. Yep. Yep. How big is the team? Uh, our team is currently five. Um, and then we are under an SVP slash, we're under an SVP. Um, but it doesn't exclusively work with our team. So I guess it'd be like six if you want to include that. It's pretty small. Cool. 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 Nice. Okay. Um, but a more Disney specific question, if you're able to answer this, uh, how do you think about Disney's cable business? Streaming makes sense as being a growth driver, but how do you think about continuing to generate cash flow there? And, and this can be like a caveat for like uh, the industry as a whole. It doesn't have to be specific to Disney, just your high level thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the trend is that we're seeing linear, which for those who don't know, that's like television. We're seeing that decline. You know, we sometimes call it like ratings based. We're seeing that decline. We're seeing streaming grow. The issue is the relationship where, you know, right now ratings base might be big, bigger and then you might see streaming be smaller, but it's one of those going to cross uh, where streaming is going to be bigger than linear. I think the question is, you know, how do you want to give up all those linear re revenues? Like, do you want to give them up entirely? Do you want to wait to see how much they can continue to generate? I think that's the question a lot of media companies are asking themselves. Um, but you're right in saying that streaming is the future. I think most linear, if you were to sit down and analyze it, it's mostly amongst people in the 50 plus range. I would say anyone like 40 or 35 and younger probably watches less than an hour of regular television a week. Mm -hmm. And I think there's even some streaming services that replace like television in general. When you think of Pluto, it's pretty much just regular television. It's free and you just watch ads in commercial breaks mm. um to me pluto's like almost a little nostalgic how you just sit there and you watch television there's an ad like every like eight minutes 
yeah. like a little nostalgic. Um, but I think that's kind of the replacement for like regular linear TV. Yep. No, it's interesting. Whenever you watch something on streaming and then it like cuts out to like a black screen and then goes back, you know that that's where like an ad was before. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, no, I mean, definitely some interesting stuff, I feel like. And we're only going to see it revamp. Um, I feel like we could have a whole different conversation about like wearables um, interacting with media and what that looks like in the future. Agreed. Um, let's take a look. So, okay, we had another question about modeling. I think we covered that a little bit, um, but I'll, I'll loop that into this one. Um, and then of course we'll wrap up here because I know you're coming up on time. Um, tell us a little bit more. So have you been interviewing individuals? What characteristics do you look for in a junior individual? And what do you think would have made Jake a like better analyst, maybe thinking back to it? I think it's the ability to sell yourself and you've got work on that. Um, to be able to sell your experience. And like I said, that's where I spun it. I didn't have direct media experience. I want to make that very clear. I never worked like with Disney. I never worked with Comcast. I never worked with Paramount when I was at like Deloitte or RBC. Mm -hmm. I was able to spin it that I had some telecom experience. And again, spin that up, you know, even when I worked in insurance, like I worked in like healthcare information technology, a lot of that is like subscription revenue. Yeah. So I was able to spin that exactly to be like, hey, I understand how subscription models work. Mm -hmm. I think that was what was able to separate. And then, of course, like there is a modeling test, but I think most of those are high level enough where anyone with the idea of mechanics can get through it. But what's different in strategy versus when I was like going through bank recruiting, I had like some in private equity recruiting, I had some modeling tests. Those are very much like speed tests. It's kind of like how the GMAT is not necessarily testing your intelligence. It's testing your ability to work under pressure uh, because the concepts in the GMAT aren't that hard. It's not like the MCAT. It's more just like, can you do it in a short amount of time? Mm -hmm. And I feel that's how private equity interviews can be too when they give you the time modeling test. The concepts might not be super hard mechanically. It just, can you do it under enough time and under enough pressure? In contrast, um, I did have a time limit, but it was more so the thought process because it just said, hey, if we have a million subscribers, a streaming platform, how's it going to look like in terms of revenue? And then you had to model that out. Um, that is, you know, that's a challenge. And that level of ambiguity is, has been my biggest challenge since working here. But that's something you have to adjust to when you, uh, when you work at a corporation, I think. Yep, yep. I think because there's no one exactly telling you what they want. And by that, I mean, banking and consulting, the client tells you exactly what the end goal is, yep. the ambiguity in corporations, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what revenue opportunities look like. You don't know what cost-saving opportunities look like. You have to be able to figure that out on your own. And that can be very challenging. Mm -hmm. Still team-oriented though, right? So you do at least have like resources to kind of like tackle the problem? I would say so. I would say when you're on a team of five people though, um, oh, yeah. There's not um, there's not the like analyst class, so to speak. And to be fair, I don't think Deloitte really had that either. And that's not a knock on them. But um, RBC was very typical. Like there's an analyst pit. Yep. Deloitte, at least when I was there, and my understanding is they're still mostly remote um, when they're not traveling the client sites. So if you're the only analyst or like consultant on your team, because Deloitte was like analyst consultant were the juniors, and then senior consultant was post MBA. If you're one of those juniors, you're probably the only one on the team. So like that, you know, you don't really get the camaraderie there. Mm -hmm. um, I would say when you're on a team of five and like you're one of like one of one or one of two juniors, like 
kind of a similar experience. I think banking camaraderie, though, is like pretty unmatched, I will admit. Um, I think that's one of the few careers where you'll probably be friends with everyone you work with on your level. Um, most other careers you won't. That's also just a factor of you're not spending 16 hours a day with them. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, uh, the, the way that you say it almost makes you kind of like miss it a little bit, right? Right. Um, because it's true if you're working on such a small team and in growth equity at battery, I was on a team of like four, like three people. Um, so at the end of the day, sure, you can like work together, but at the end of the day, you're probably generally kind of working a little bit like in your own pod. Right. Yeah. And the responsibility carries, right? The more senior you get, I think the stupid questions part, um, that you brought up being like, Hey, like, sure. Like the world would say like, there are no stupid questions, but the reality is, is that yeah, there, like, are. <laughs> there are, you don't want to ask your boss too, too many of uh, these questions. Right. Nice. Are any uh, questions on your end, parting thoughts, anything of the sort? No, I would say, um, you know, office hours really helped me. Um, so anyone who's thinking about the platform, like definitely, definitely reach out. Um, to me, it was a huge, huge thing that helped me pivot in my career. And I'm also, I'm a coach on office hours. So I'm also available for consultation and when he wants to reach out to me. Yes. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Um, I think at the end of the day, we're really, really big on helping individuals think through next steps. And it doesn't necessarily mean like, hardcore, like mega fun private equity, right? It could right. be something totally, totally different because generally some of the questions we ask in like initial assessment calls is like, if money didn't matter, like what would you do, right? What do you read about? And what do you kind of like look at and watch and view and consume from a content perspective in your free time, right? That isn't work related. And some people would be like, look, like for me, it was really big. Like I used to go on TechCrunch like every single day, no matter what. And it was just like, whether I work in tech or not, like I was on TechCrunch. And that's what kind of like catalyzed me to move to SF. And part of it was like, look, like work in technology. I don't care if I'm like sales rep. I don't care if I'm like customer service. I don't care if I'm an investor or a banker, just work in technology because I knew that that was kind of like the forefront of what everything was to come. So really the reason that we started it being like, hey, like pursue your passion. And it's awesome to hear that you're really leaning into media. Yeah, it's, it's been a great experience so far. I think LA is also the hub for it, right? Really big. It is. Like, you got to move where is the hub of what you want to do, right? Like some people will be like, oh, like I'm all about New York. I love technology, but all about New York. It's like, sure. The reality is like New York's very business services. Even Boston is arguably more tech than New York. And then SF is going to be the kingpin. How could it not be? Right. And for media, it's going to be LA, simply put. And if you're like, oh, like I've got a lease here. I don't want to get out of it. I want to move. Um, Maybe in the future, the reality is like, if you prioritize your career, which we obviously kind of abide by and kind of recommend move where the hub is, like even bumping into people, you're going to bump into people that can actually be relevant to what you do. Right. I think that's a good mindset to have. And, you know, there's pros and cons living everywhere. Like we discussed, like NYCL area, write the run track and you're going to be pissed off. But when you're young, it's something you can put up with. Yeah, you got to be nimble. You got to be willing to move around. Pros and cons all day, right? You could say this when it comes to like the weather, one place is good. The other place is kind of like, unfortunately, like wildfires or something, right? Like there's literally pros and cons to everything. And to be fair, like, I don't think LA is much cheaper than New York. I don't think Boston's much cheaper than New York. Um, Yeah, SF might be even more expensive than New York in some aspects. Um, And the cities we want to live in, um, they're going to be up there. Right. But early in your career, I think they're the best place to develop relationships. Yeah, 100%, right? Uh, learn through osmosis, learn through bumping into people. 
Um, and then of course, kind of like the networking that uh, carries with, but yeah, dude, much appreciated, right? I definitely want to make sure uh, we're cognizant of time uh, for your next one, um, but huge. Thank you so much for coming on board. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course. Thank you all for joining. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can do uh, info at getofficehours.com or on our website, fill out our form that we'll send out thereafter if you want to connect with Jake or myself after. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. We'll see you around. Sure.